Hello, welcome to another episode of the Abbey Normal Podcast. I'm your host, Colin Bourne. And I'm Leah. How's it going this evening? Alright. No, I'm not asking you, I'm asking them. I know, but still. Again, it's nice to just have some th- something that answers back to you. Yes, that is true. That, which yeah. makes me really that sad, but yes. So today's episode, we're going to be doing another remake debate. Yeah, this one was kind of like last minute, because... Because um, we, we, th- we thought been, about this before. Well, I've been really wanting to try to get back to a routine where I give you guys your regularly scheduled episodes, but between scheduling and hours and, you know, conflict stuff... We just haven't really had time to really sit down together as a couple and watch movies or really do anything to get ourselves prepared for these episodes. But I figured at least this one, we watched the remake first, and then we just got finished watching the original movie to this. So I figured we'll do the remake debate of Prom Night. I wanted to do this later on in the year, like maybe like towards the spring season, but we're getting pretty close to spring already, even though like right now it's winter stormy season so you know it'd be sad too if there wasn't another year of prom with uh because of covid i mean it seems likely so we're gonna give you guys this one early prom edition yeah anything you want to address before we get jump right into it um not that i know of i rather might as well get into this right away so we can uh have everyone you know get themselves to bed and stuff Okay, I do want to say, though, I'm glad you guys liked the American Horror Story review episode I did with my dad. We had a lot of fun talking about it, and we actually just got together today to discuss a little bit more, like, off-record stuff, and we're hopefully, we'll hopefully get that one out later this week, maybe Thursday or Friday, before I go into my birthday episode, which will be next Sunday. So I'm really excited for that one, too, because that's one's going to be... My time to shine. Yeah, as I usually do. Yeah, and it will, and it's going to be her birthday next week. You will be what, twenty five, twenty six, and twenty eight. You don't look a day over twenty three. Anyway, my grades <laughs> tell me otherwise. But anyway, <laughs> no. So but... we'll get into prom night. Yeah. So prom night, the runtime for the original was an hour and thirty two minutes. It, it was released. Yeah, it didn't seem like that long. Yeah, it really was like a short movie. But then again, I mean, we'll get into it, but. Um, its release date was July 18th of 1980. It was directed by Paul Lynch. It had a budget of $1.6 million, but made $14.8 million at the box office. So it was kind of a success a little bit. Yeah, not exactly, because it, was... it has a 5.4 out of 10 rating on IMDb and a 45% on Metacritic, which is not really good score system but it stars jamie lee curtis like a really young jamie lee curtis brock simpson leslie nielsen and Anne marie martin i think i got the name right well by the time this movie came out uh, jamie lee curtis was already ranked as the scream queen because she did halloween two years before and then she did the fog the same year as prom night yeah and then she started doing other like Horror movies, like you know, around that time. So yeah. she was like pretty popular in the sc- in the horror genre in the late seventies, yeah, I mean, early eighties. She's always been the iconic image of not only like the final girl, but just in general, you know, like horror movie as a whole. But yeah, she's become a pretty big name in the horror movie franchises, like genres and stuff. And I'm really glad to see her in something that's not really Halloween related, but it's yeah. you know interesting to see her kind of like 
do other things. And in this know? movie, she really kicked ass, especially yeah. in the end. Like, she seems like a very strong a, independent She was a girl. cool chick. Like, she seemed yeah. pretty chill in the beginning. And we'll, like I said, we'll get into the, like, plot points. So, the premise of this is that it centers around this Jamie Lee Curtis's character is, what's her name, Kim Hammond? Yeah, Kim Hammond. Yep. And so, 1974, her sister, Robin, uh, Robin gets killed by these kids who taunted her and bullied her to the point where she accidentally fell out a window. Yeah, she flew out of that window. Yeah. Really, and, pretty bad. And instead of telling anybody about what happened, they ran away and kept this, you know, as a big secret, like little bitches. Yeah, and, they didn't want to go to jail. That's what they said. Which I don't think they would have gotten... Probably, that much into trouble. No, they probably would have went to juvie. Would probably be like you know, it was self defense. If they, I said mean, it was, I think if anything, but. <laughs> I mean, I think if anything, they probably would have been labeled as like children killers or child killers, like young child killers. They would have like, a bad rep, that's for sure. Yeah. Growing up, because there have been cases of like kids killing other kids. That's not exactly uncommon. I mean, I wouldn't say uncommon, but mm-hmm. it's, it does happen. But it's like as a kid. If it's unintentional and it's like an accident, then yeah, I mean, I don't think they're going to get in that much trouble. But yeah, by not reporting it and not saying like she fell out a window, yeah, you're putting yourself in a much deeper hole mm-hmm. than where you already started. Yeah. So this happens and they, again, they keep it to themselves and don't say anything. And then when the police go to investigate Robin's death, they come to the conclusion that she died at the hands of a local sex offender who they've caught and apprehended and is put away in a mental institution. It sounds like a load of shit. And I it can't is believe, a load of shit. I can't believe the guy actually went along with it. I don't think he went along with it. I just think that they wanted, like, you know, most situations, and again, we do see this in real life sometimes, but when cops just want to, like, close a case, especially when it's a case that involves a dead child, like, they want to close it, and they want to close it quickly. Yeah. Before the public is like, why haven't you found anything? Like, why isn't the case closed? Why is it still ongoing? They just want to close it. They want to end it. They want to get closure. They just want so, to get it out of the way. So they're like, we're gonna just going to... We've got this local sex offender. It's a young girl who died. You know, we, I guess they're grasping at this point. So they they put this guy away, right? Mm-hmm. Six years later, Kim and Alex have grown up. Really and, a lot. Like, they went through puberty well, so they much. Were, um, they were 10. You know, like, compared to a 16-year-old... A lot can change in six years during that time frame. I just thought Jamie Lee Curtis looked too grown up to be 16. Still. Yeah. I don't know. But that's just how I Plus feel. Plus, it's the, it's the 80s, you know? I mean, the well, times are different. 1980. It was the beginning of things of changing, yes. Still. So, Alex and Kim are getting ready for high school prom, where their dad, who's played by Leslie Nielsen, mm-hmm. is the principal. And they have a very weird gardener who is just some, like... In my opinion, he's just a little footnote in the plot point overall. He doesn't really play a huge part. I didn't get his purpose in this either. Because see, the whole whole thing about this, and this is what I don't like about this original concept, is that somebody is doing these things. You know, and whether it's Robin's death or the death of these kids that are currently happening in the current plot point, they all assume that it's this guy named Leonard Murch. He was the sex offender that they pinned Robin's murder on. And they think that he's the guy who's not only committed these recent crimes amongst the community, but they think that he's going to be attacking kids 
at the local high school prom. Which I'm like, okay, that's a bit far-fetched, but whatever. So the police of this town, are that's all they're focusing on. They don't know anything about like what these kids have done during that time of Robin's death. And they don't know what they're currently plotting during this whole prom thing. Hmm. Because Alex is part of the sound system board of this prom committee. Jamie Lee Curtis, who's Kim, queen. she's the prom queen. She's going to prom with her boyfriend, Nick, who's one of the original group of kids who killed her sister, who she doesn't know that. And he was, like, the only one that felt guilty about it, Yeah, he's the only one who shows, like, true remorse for what had happened. And I think he holds on to that guilt. But, again, he does not say anything. Because, again, this is all one big secret amongst these kids. And it's Nick, who we mentioned, Jude, Wendy, and Kelly. Mm -hmm. Those four kids. And, you know, nobody else outside of this group, not even Kim, knows what happened to Robin. So it's just, you know, it's a whole mess. And it's, I just don't like, again, I don't like the whole purpose of the cops following a, it's like a goose chase. They're following nothing. Like, this guy has absolutely nothing to do with Robin's death. And he has absolutely nothing to do with the current plot point at hand. And we don't even get, like, an actual face to this guy. We just get, like, some bandaged-up Joe in a hospital mm. who's just recovering from a burn accident. So it's like, we don't even have anything to really go on here. So it's like, what was the point of this? Like, watching this part of the movie really bored me. So I didn't, you know, I thought it was totally unnecessary. And then all this is going on, everybody's getting ready for prom, and then you're, you know, you start to see where these kids, where, how they've grown up to be as young adults, I guess you can call them, because mm-hmm. they're 16, they're kind of adult, they're smoking cigarettes and pot, and they're drinking, and they're driving, and yeah. doing all this, like, adult stuff. And, oh, young you know, adult stuff, they're just being ridiculous, they're just being still, teens, you know. Still, but this is stuff that, like average adults would normally do like what you and i would do Mm -hmm. before prom and everything else but this is like what is again it's like watching adults be adults versus when they were kids and playing a weird ass game of hide and seek but this is like where we see them now so nick and kim are dating wendy's become the typical mean girl the high school then you have kelly who's like this sweet innocent virgin type and then you have jude who's this weird kind of slutty girl but not quite i don't know she kind of falls in like a weird in between personality type between sweet and just being sweet and sincere like kelly but slutty and crude like Wendy. So you know she's what I mean? like messing with both worlds. Like, you know, yeah. she wants to take a taste and try it out, but she's also has, you know, feelings and she's sincere and all that stuff, but she yeah. also wants to have a wild side. Yeah, because when we first see her as, an, as a young adult, she's getting ready for school and she gets her obscene phone call by the this new killer that we don't know yeah. too much about and she is walking to school and she gets picked up by this kid named seymour who goes by the nickname slick, slick which i don't even think this, the guy is slick especially the way i he, think he is because they, they end up hooking up during prom well i'm talking about in the beginning when they first met he kind of hit like the uh the sidewalk pretty hard oh yeah, yeah. well I mean, he not only picks her up from school, but he picks her up as a prom date. I, so I give him props for that, though. That's yeah, pretty slick. Yeah. <laughs> Hence the it, name. Yeah, but, but uh, it's like yeah. that's where we see 
Jude as a young adult, and then we see Kelly getting ready for her day, and she gets her obscene phone call, and then she sees her boyfriend, Drew, who... He's a dick. I don't he like is Drew. a dick. And let me just say this, and this is probably going to go off topic a little bit, but... Don't go off topic. We, let's just stick like, to the thing. Like we mentioned, Kelly is the kind of girl who is modest. She feels like she's not emotionally or physically ready for sex. And that's fine. Take your time. But if you're dating a guy who's going to just pressure you and make you you're feel just, like shit... All, she wants, all he wants from you is sex? Don't do it. Yeah, like if he's pressuring you and making you feel like shit because you don't want to, then that's not the guy for you. And that's, like, again, it's okay if you're not ready and you want to say no. That's your choice. Mm -hmm. But if your partner is not okay with it and gets a little pissy about it, that's going to raise a whole bunch of red flags that you need to shut down before anything gets worse. And in this situation, it not only got worse for Kelly because it just confirmed suspicions and fears that she was already having about saying no to this kind of thing. Because she was already apprehending, like, should I have sex? Or should I just wait and see what happens? But she was afraid if she said no, that he was just going to find out someone else to have sex with. Which yeah. he is, is exactly what he says when she pumps the brakes on prom night. But I'm getting ahead of myself. So Jenner. Wendy and Nick get their phone calls. And Wendy picks up. She doesn't think anything of it. Nick doesn't pick up and is still getting ready for his day. And we find out that his father is the sheriff. Or the cop, or the investigating cop in charge of not only Robin's case oh, from six a, years ago. Nick's dad is the, uh, the yeah. oh wow. But he was the investigating cop who was like at the school the night of prom. Mm. Yeah. And I think, here's the thing, I think he was just there to chaperone. Yeah. Like most parents do when you're a part of like a school committee. And plus back then, I think you could still have cops be, uh, be chaperones too, kind of. Yeah. And I think too, like... I mean, we do see this also as the main group of kids as young adults, is that at one point in time, Nick and Wendy had dated, then they broke up, and then Nick started dating Kim, and that pissed Wendy off. So this is kind of like trying to get back at them? Yeah, because not only does Wendy turn to this guy named Lou, who in my opinion looked like Richard Ramirez, but he has a thing for Kim, originally. So they're kind of both just using each other. Wendy's using Lou to make Nick jealous, and Lou is using Wendy to make Kim jealous. What? That's weird. Yeah. So I just, you know, again, it's typical (sighs) high school drama shit. It's just so boring. I I think the killer was being... Well, the way the killer talks was kind of weird, because all he was doing mostly was just whispering. Yeah, but then again, it's it's trying to throw your voice so that, like... It's like he's like a snake like he's trying to disguise his voice so that people don't recognize him because not for nothing but when you find out who the actual killer is and you've heard him talk throughout the movie like normally you you could probably tell it's not that hard but anyway i'm getting off topic again so a body was found at the building where robin's body was found you know, when, when those kids were playing hide-and-seek at the abandoned building. Mm-hmm. In in this present time, in 1980, this is when the killings start up again, and the cops think that it has something to do with this sex offender who just broke out of the asylum or mental institution he was being held up in. And now the search is on to find out where he is and to try to stop him before he kills anybody else. Mm-hmm. But, again, it has nothing to do with what the topic is at hand. 
So we see, we kind of cut back and forth between this plot point with the cops and this plot point with the group of kids who are now young adults. We get this really, again, another uncomfortable, like, scene that involves, like, I, I, I wrote down the term frisked. Like, Kim gets frisked at the cafeteria lunch line by, again, my Richard Ramirez lookalike. Her brother Alex steps in to defend her, and they both end up in trouble and sent to the principal's office. And I put down Principal Dad's office because he's their dad. So Lou gets suspended. He leaves. Alex gets a slap on the wrist because, again, he's the principal's son. And he's going to believe whatever Alex tells him. Because in this sense, it's true. Lou was in the wrong. Alex defended his sister, and they both get in trouble for it. Which really? Wait, Alex gets uh, the cuffs? He gets slapped on a wrist for getting into a fight with Lou. So not really in that much trouble, but... Mm. Okay. Again, it's, it's that kind of, like, nepotism thing that really irks a lot of the kids at the school. You know, it's, again, it's, it's another dynamic that separates Kim and her brother from the rest of the school, yeah. in a sense. So then... We start to see, after this gym class scene, the girls are in the locker room, and Wendy, Kelly, and Jude all get, like, their school yearbook photos taped inside their lockers with, like, pieces of glass stuck, like, taped to them. Mm-hmm. And I guess this is, like, the killer's way of threatening them with what's about to happen to them, yeah, which is sketchy. But it's, like, it could be better. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. It so everybody's getting ready for prom in their own way. And then Wendy goes to prom with Lou. And again, it's a, it's a tactic to make Nick jealous. And then they kind of plot their whole little scheme. And it's going to, like, Lou and his friends are going to jump Nick backstage before the prom king and queen announcement. And Lou's going to step in as prom king and try to get his way with Kim, which I don't get how that plan would have gone that far. Yeah. I think once he would have stepped out on stage, everybody would have been like, what the fuck? Where's Nick? And would have, he would have been booted. Like, I don't think that would have gone far. So anyway, it's, you know, prom, everybody's dancing, everybody's having a good time. Kim's dad and mom are there, a chaperone, and Nick's dad is there to kind of work his job, but also to chaperone as well, which doesn't really work out. And again, it's just a huge distracting subplot in the whole movie, and I don't like it. So, again, we go to that scene in the locker room where Kelly and her boyfriend are making out and they're about to do it. Then, again, she pumps the brakes and he becomes a dick and he leaves her. So she's getting redressed is when she gets attacked. And and I don't like like any of these death scenes. You don't actually see... I did like one, but that was only it. Because here's the thing. The killer comes up from behind Kelly and she... He puts his hand over her mouth and he pins her against him and he uses this glass shard to slit her throat. But you don't actually see it. It's mm. just a close-up of her eyes and this ragged breathing and then her eyes roll back and then she slumps to the floor and that's when you see like the red paint on her throat. And yeah, it's not really much to like see imagination. No. It's very simple. Any thoughts? Anything you want to put in before I move on? Uh not exactly. I mean, it's okay. I mean, I thought I would give it a little more... I thought it would be a little better than I expected because this movie I've heard for many, many years from people talking about it and saying, you know, this is like like a big, like, cult classic, like, horror movie, but... 
Really, there wasn't really anything special about it, honestly. Yeah, I wouldn't call it a cult classic. I mean, it's Well, I mean, it is a cult classic. It's not popular, but it's definitely to a certain group of people, they like that movie. But I wouldn't call it a cult classic. Well, maybe not to you, but to everyone else. Well, no, because it's like... Here's the thing. Growing up, and even these are these are movies before I even actually watched them. But I've heard about Nightmare on Elm Street and Halloween and Friday the Thirteenth. Like those are cult classics. Mm. And every every other movie, like horror movie, you could probably heard in passing but haven't watched yet, can be considered cult classics. I have never heard a single thing about this movie until I saw the remake and realized it was a remake of the original movie. And then again, we just watched the original tonight. And I gotta say, it doesn't really it doesn't really hold up. Yeah, it really doesn't. It's kind of outdated. It is. It very much is. So, moving on to the the content at hand, we get to the scene where Jude and Slick are in the van. Wait, we're not done with this yet. Nope. Jude and Slick are in the van, and they just had sex, and she's deciding, like, oh, let's go out into the bluffs, and you know, go for a round two, and this is where like. It, that scene where they're talking, like, because he steps out of the van to go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. And she's, like, putting her dress back on. And she's like, oh, let's go for round two in the bluffs. And he's like, in the bluffs? And I'm like, these two are, like, the makings of, like, a middle-aged sitcom couple. Yeah. Like, this is pre-Mike and Molly shit. Like, this is what they were probably before the present. Like, post-2010 Mike and Molly-esque but, like, yeah, if they hadn't died in this next scene coming up, that's who they would have ended up looking like. Now, this is the scene that I, I liked because... This even was a though, pretty interesting even scene. Even though she was killed easily and everything, the other guy yeah. put up a fight, especially yeah. while driving. He could have run his ass over. He should have. Well, here's another funny thing, and we, and we kind of glossed over this part just now, but they, they go make out in the bluffs, and Slick hears rustling in the trees and bushes, and he's like, oh, let's go back to the van. So he goes back to the van, and he's like, oh, hand me my history book. And she's like, you're really going to study? And he opens up the book. Look, my dude is hiding doobies. Yeah, doobies. In He's the got fu- a shit ton of joints in there. Yeah, sure. in the yeah. fucking history book. Like, it's like what when the hell? you. It's like when you cut open a Bible. Like it's like yeah. when you open the Bible and you cut a huge hole within the whole thing. Like cut all the paper and make a big. It's like hole. Mrs. Mac from Black Christmas with her fucking. I was about to say he's giving me ideas. I'm probably thinking about doing that. <laughs> no, but it's like Miss Mac from Black Christmas with her fucking liquor bottles. Oh yeah, well that's genius too. So. But yeah, it's like the same shit. That's a, that's the kind of vibes it gave me when I saw this scene. So then all of a sudden the back door to the van opens up and Jude falls back. And again, we don't see anything because Jude's back under the blankets. The blankets obscure your vision of seeing her face and neck. Mm -hmm. But the killer comes out and he starts motioning to where her head is. You don't actually see the stab wounds go in. You don't see any blood flowing from the neck, nothing. You just see this like impression that this guy has just killed this girl and her boyfriend's just sitting there watching all this happen. And he, you know, slams the door on the guy, gets into the front of the seat and, you know, starts driving the van around trying to shake him off. But he not only gets killed in the process, but the killer rolls the van downhill and the fucking thing goes up in flames. Jude, Slick, all those joints go (laughs) up. I was going to say that. All the joints are in flames. That was the thing I was sad about. I know, because, like, all that goes up in flames and nobody even... Like, up until this point, nobody fucking knows what's happening. And nobody, nobody still knows what's happening until Wendy. Yeah. 
Which I hate fucking Wendy. I mean, I hate Wendy, but I hate her death scene even more. It's I'm so, kind of glad that she died, so... I'm glad she dies, but it's so prolonged. It's like, just kill her already. She was really hard to like. It was kind of like a, um, a cat and mouse chase. Yeah, that's what I wrote down in my notes, too. So Wendy gets attacked by an axe, but manages to get away. And I wrote, weird cat and mouse chase where Wendy discovers Kelly's body amongst all this. And again... This is the only time where somebody discovers that something weird is happening. So, Wendy eventually does get killed, and it's announced that the merch guy, the sex offender, was Mm. caught some 50 minutes away from where our story setting is taking place. And I'm like, then what was the point of all this? Yeah, seriously. You know? Then Lou and his friends ambush Nick backstage. He takes his crown. And this is where I'm assuming... He, like, pimp-slapped him. Well, I'm assuming that by doing this act, the killer mistakes Lou for Nick. And that's how Lou gets killed. His head gets lobbed off and rolls on the runway on stage. And in the most cheesiest of Hollywood effects, it's they do this in a way... They cut a whole in the runway floor and they stuck the actor's head through it to give you the impression that his head is just sitting on the... So that's how it looks so real. Yeah, because it's real, but it's like in the cheesiest of fashions. I just couldn't stand this at all. So then Kim and Nick fight off the killer. Kim gets him on the head and in this intense eye-staring session, mm-hmm. like, there's a moment where they just both look at each other in their eyes, and in this... You could tell un- In this is. unspoken realization that Kim knows who this is. But then again, it's revealed in a short few minutes later that it's Alex, the, her brother. The brother, yeah. And that he had, in fact, witnessed what had happened to Robin, knew who had rashly killed her, and was waiting up until this point to exact his revenge... Um, upon the group of children who... It's crazy he waited all this time. I know. It's like, why didn't you just say anything? It's like, if you witness this, if you see something, say something. Don't do shit like this because it's so... Okay, the way it was all executed in this movie was fucking dumb. I did not like this movie. Hmm. I didn't like the original, at least. But what did you think? Well, I don't know. The movie was eh, movie was okay. The one thing I did not get at all is that when the killer was wearing a mask, all you see is his eyes. You don't really see his lips. So you, which I didn't get either. Which you open up the mask and he's wearing his mom's lipstick because that the mom in the movie I... was talking about she was looking for her yeah, dark lipstick. There's a scene in which Kim's getting ready for prom and her mom comes in and she's upset because her lipstick is missing, and. We don't think anything of it. We just think that her mom's having a psychotic break because it's the anniversary of her daughter's death. Mm. And she's, you know, at this time of... On on this time of year, you know, it's just probably don't feel their best. But, you know, it's something we don't think about until we see Alex's face revealed from underneath the mask. And he's wearing that lipstick that his mom was missing, which doesn't get brought up at all. Which I didn't understand. Again, it's a footnote. In this weird plot movie, just like with The Gardener. Like, why the fuck did he wear that? But then again, I don't know. The movie's weird, and it's just like, there's a lot of plot holes in that movie, and it's just a lot. And at one point, the dad, just the principal, disappears, and we never see him again. And his wife, too. Yeah, him and his wife just leave, and we never see him again. Like, like, at what point, when did they leave, why did they leave, and how come we never see them for the rest of the movie? It's like they abandon everything. And maybe, I mean, maybe we missed it because the movie was that boring. 
Mm-hmm. We just weren't paying attention. But it's just, I didn't like this original all that much. Mm-hmm. But I like the remake. So that I think with that being said, we'll jump into the remake now. The remake was, the remake, uh, So okay. the Prom Night remake had a runtime of an hour and 28 minutes, which is just two minutes less of its original. It was released, released on April 11th, 2008. It was directed by Nelson McCormick. It had a budget of $20 million, but made $57.2 million at the box office. It stars Brittany Snow. I'm going to pronounce, I'm going to butcher his last name, but Jonathan Sheech. I can't pronounce it well. He's the guy from That Thing You Do. Yeah, he's the lead singer yeah. in that band. The O'Neaters. <laughs> Jessica Strope, Dana Davis, and Idris Elba, yep. which I thought was interesting. Who, uh, he plays, um, uh, what was it? He was a cop. No, I know, but he plays in Thor. He's, um... Um, I forgot what his name was, but he's He's like, also in Cats. Yeah, he's like the, the keeper mm-hmm. in Asgard. I think he's in Dark Tower, too. Yeah, he is. He is. He's a big actor. You yeah. Know? And I actually... I like him as an actor. I think yeah, he's pretty good. He has a pretty good uh, American accent for an Englishman. Yeah. So, I, I gotta say, I like this plot point. Like, the plot to this movie is way more realistic and relative to, like, a high school prom setting than whatever was going on in the original, honestly. Because everything was relative. It brought to light a lot of subplots that, again, were relative to the main plot point, which is the fact that... What? Oh, his name's Heimdall. That's what his name was in the Thor movie. Anyway, go on. So, again, it has a lot of plot points that are relative to the main plot of the movie. And it's the whole purpose of this is that Brittany Snow plays this high school student who was stalked and obsessed by her teacher, her teacher who's played by Jonathan What's His Face. I can't pronounce his last name. Let me see again. S C H A E C H. Shesh. Shesh. Yeah. Whatever. You know that's what I in my head it sounds like Shesh, but at the when I sound when I go to speak it out loud, it's not accurate okay but Mm. he develops this unhealthy obsession with her which no adult Mm. should ever have with a minor it's just uh, it's uncomfortable but that's what makes this a good thriller suspenseful movie i mean i wouldn't call it a horror movie but it's definitely one of those suspenseful thrillers that i think the original just couldn't really live up to and there was an investigation he was put away after he murdered her family which yeah. is an interesting way to open up the story. I think it did have a better story, though, than yeah, the original. Yeah, it know. did. Because, again, it's all relative to... Because this is about high school, making memories while you're young and, you, you know, with your friends and all this fun stuff. And I think that what happened between Brittany Snow's character and this teacher, it's a good topic that ties into that high school setting. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because this is a story about high school kids. So I think it's, you know, appropriate in a sense to have this kind of story plot get written into this kind of movie. Mm-hmm. So he kills her family because they, you know, filed restraining orders. They essentially end up making him lose his job and he couldn't see Brittany Snow, whose name is, I'm blanking. What the fuck was her name in that movie? I'm blanking. I'm going <laughs> to move on before I get mad. But, Don't get mad. But she spends the next two years after this incident trying to 
cope and move on and get her life back. And she's getting ready for prom in the current plot point of this movie. And, you know, she's got these two girlfriends, Lisa and Claire. I can't believe I remember their names, but I don't remember her name, which is stupid. But anyway, I'm moving on. So they're getting ready for prom. Their boyfriends are getting ready for prom. And she's starting to see these flashes where she's like, I, I feel like since the incident occurred with the with her family, she's been jumpy, she's been paranoid, she thinks she sees him in open places, but he's not really there kind of situations. And then we come to find out at the police station, he actually escaped mm-hmm. and is on the lam. So now we have this, I don't know if you call it a chase or a race against time situation. I think it's a race against time to try to find him before he makes his next move and to keep trying to find her. Yeah, because this is this is a dangerous situation where somebody is obsessed with another person and it's a total one-side situation where it's dangerous. He is has shown to be dangerous because of this obsession and he'll do whatever means necessary to get her exactly even if it means killing people around her Mm -hmm. which is scary because now she's going to prom in a place that's very public with a lot of people who could get hurt and it's exactly what happens so she gets ready you know she goes to prom with her boyfriend and her friends they rent a hotel room at the hotel where they have their prom Mm-hmm. And the girls all go upstairs and they get ready. And we don't even, I mean, they don't realize it. We see it. But the guy's already there. The teacher, he's already there. And he's watching her. And the thing I love about his acting and hit this character in particular is that you can see in his face and the way he expresses emotion that he truly does have feelings for her. Mm-hmm. And it hurts him in a way when, like, she, when he sees her interact with her boyfriend and when she kisses him and hugs him, that it hurts him emotionally to see her be with somebody else who's not him. Yeah. You know what I mean? He wish it was him. Yeah. So it's like, it drives, not only drives the motivation for him to have her even more, but it, again, it shows that emotion <sighs> that I absolutely think that every actor should. I could never be like Dude. that, honestly. Yeah. Ugh, that's but it's so like, weird. But it's like, it's saddening to watch, but at the same time, it's like, you're a monster. You're like, again, you're a high school teacher, a former high school teacher. Well, didn't you find this guy attractive? The I do find him attractive. I don't think this character, though, is like, <laughs> I don't find him attractive because of this. No. <laughs> I find him attractive because, oh. His, his face. Yes. Like, when you take away the fact that he played... A pedophile on a movie and an asshole in another movie in that thing you do. He played a lot of like, like not villain roles, but like those guys who just have like a, a messed up mind. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's he, good at that. Yeah. First person, I mean, he, it's hard to say who he kills first because we come to find out later on that he's already killed a few people. But the first person we actually see him kill is a maid. And he does this to get a hold of her MasterCard to gain access into the the kids' room mm-hmm. where they've rented and are staying. Yeah. So he gets the he gets the MasterCard from the maid who he kills, and then he goes you know in and out of the room a few times, and is like watching her at the prom, and he's just like 
using the staircases and elevators to go up and down this hotel, following her back and forth. So after he kills the maid, he sneaks back into her room and he kills her friend Claire. Mm -hmm. And then her boyfriend Michael comes up later and he kills him off screen. So we have those two kills. And then we see this concierge or uh, bellhop. I don't even know what type of job you would qualify this kid to be working, but when the front desk can't get a hold of the maid, he sends this guy up to go check out her cart, like to find her. Yeah. And he comes across that guy. He's like, you haven't seen the maid, have you? And he's like, oh, yeah. She's right here in my room. I can't and believe that's he did he, that. And that's when he attacks him. What a jackass. If anything, and he I'm just like, said no. Yeah, but I was like, well, what was the purpose of killing him? You could have just said, no, I haven't seen her. Like, I don't know where she is. Maybe like, he wants blah, blah, to, blah. Maybe he wants to tally up but, the kills. Maybe. Well, no, we find out even more interesting later on that he uses that guy for a whole new purpose. But we'll get into uh. that in a little bit. So I go back to the prom and, you know, we, we see these moments and instances where they're all kind of like thinking about the future and what's going to happen all of them to all of them after high school. And it's a very bittersweet moment. Yeah. And it's something, you know, a lot of people think about when they reach that point in their life where they're no longer going to be kids. They're going to go into adulthood. They're going to be graduating from high school and they're going to be fucking. I mean, yes. Yeah, gonna... Yeah. Well, grown-ups, yes. Yeah, and they all have these bright futures ahead of them. Lisa, in particular, her friend, who's played by Dana Davis, who I've seen her in a bunch of shit back mid to late 2000s. She was in a lot of stuff during that time. And she was doing pretty good. Like, she was in a lot of, like, those high school teen movies. Like and what this happened one. to her now? I don't know. You don't really hear, well... Here, look up what movie she was in recently. I don't know. Dana Davis. What was she in recently? Um... Let me see. Oh, she was born in 78. Wow. So, oh, she wasn't really in too many stuff. She was in Raise Your Voice in 04. She was in Coach Carter in 05. Prom Night. She does a lot of voiceover work. Nick of she Time was... and High Moon. That's all she's done for movies. Yeah, she does a lot of voiceover work for cartoons. She was in oh. that she show you like so much. Oh, what? Really? Yeah. <gasps> she's Lonnie? Holy shit. Oh my god, I love Lonnie. That's so cool. She's, oh my god, she's Lonnie. But yeah, I mean... Lonnie's the bad guy, yeah. Yeah. Or bad girl, whatever they call her. Anyway. But yeah, I mean... That's Lonnie? Again, like, you used to kind of see her in a little bit of everything. And now she plays this role where she's the high school cheerleader, everybody loves her, she's nominated for prom queen, and she and her boyfriend have really bright futures ahead of them. And Ronnie has special plans for that night. He was going to take Lisa up to the hotel room. They were going to shag up for a bit before they announced the prom king and queen winners. And he was going to pop the question to Lisa. But, and this is where I think it gets really interesting. But in passing on their way up to the hotel room, they cross paths with the teacher guy. And she sees his face. It's like one of those things where you see a face and you know it from somewhere, but you can't place it right in that moment. And just like later on the moment, it hits you like a truck where you're like, oh, oh, he's that guy. I know who he is. And that's exactly what happens in this moment when her and Ronnie are in the hotel room and they're making out. And she has that moment where it hits her. And she's like, I gotta go find Donna. Donna's the name of Brittany Snow's ow, character. Ow, ow. Okay. You know, up until now, again, one of those moments where I don't remember shit, and then it hits you like a fucking truck. It's that moment where she's like, 
I gotta go find Donna. I gotta tell her that he's here and let her know. I do remember so, that, and that was actually kind of cool. So she runs off, and it's, again, a cat and mouse chase kind of scene where... Not, yeah, cat and mouse chase. Yeah, she's hiding from him in a renovated part of the hotel, and he eventually does capture her and kills her. I can't believe he killed Lonnie. I'm so upset. I know. Yeah. I'm I'm upset for her boyfriend. He was about to pop the question. I'm like, well, shit, dude. I know, and they're I don't know. I mean, would they really if if she didn't die? Would you think she would actually say yes to him? Yeah, I think she would have. They they seem to really like each other, or mm. love each other at least. Yeah, like each other, like each other so much to get married. Yeah, love each other enough they were gonna shag in a hotel room mm-hmm. on prom night. Yeah, I think so. But they're so young. I can't believe he asked so young, but it's okay. Well, they're they're gonna be graduating from high school. Yeah, young so kids do you know, shit like that. Yeah, I never did that when high I graduated from high school. High school sweetheart sort of situation. I mean, yeah. it's bound to happen, I guess. Well, I wasn't but, in that situation, so I wouldn't know. So anyway, this was a good example too of having a more diverse cast of characters, because in comparison to the 1980 original. We didn't see a lot, whole lot of people of color in that movie, right? Yeah. No, it was all mostly white people. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I liked about the remake. It gives you room for growth to do better in terms of not just like writing, rewriting the story, but recasting new faces and actors and actresses. And so you know, what? you know, I will tell you what I actually do. Like I think about it now, and I'm just like, you know what? This remake, for some reason, is a lot better than the original, and usually it doesn't work that way. But for some reason, in this, this case, one, it does. In this case, it does because it has a better storytelling and a better and, cast and a better yeah. everything. Even though Jamie Lee Curtis, Leslie Nielsen, they're legends, but just because you're legends doesn't mean you really make the best movie every time. So yeah, this was an example of that. I mean, this was an example too of how the remake actually did a little bit more better than the original. And it's funny because and, two of them were in big movies in 1980. Leslie Nielsen was in Airplane, mm-hmm. which was his first comedy, yeah. and what made him a comedy. Man and Jamie Lee Curtis did really well in The Fog, and it kind of really helped her to keep going with her career and start being different movies. Yeah. So yeah. So after this happens, I'm trying to remember exactly which moment it is where they start to put the whole hotel on lockdown, and I think it's when they find the car that he was driving. Yeah. Because the guy, the teacher, was under an alias that he had stolen when he killed somebody when he was on the run. Yeah, when he was in like a parking lot, he killed the they guy. Found, they found the car of one of his first victims that we don't, again, we don't see on screen, but it is implied that he does kill somebody before he approaches this hotel and this whole thing falls into place. So they find this guy's car with his dead body in the trunk, and this is when they start to realize, okay, he's here. We gotta lock this shit down. So... They get to the front desk, they find out which room he's staying in, they start to evacuate the hotel and everything, Mm -hmm. and this is when Donna, for the first time, sees this teacher in the hotel room. She goes upstairs, and this is the thing I hate about this, the only thing I really hate about this was that... Of all the the things she could have had of her mother's, to make this night special... It was a a beige shawl that belonged to her mother that she doesn't even wear half the time. True. She goes up, like when they first go up to the hotel room, mm-hmm. that's where she leaves it. She leaves her shawl upstairs with her purse and that's it. And I'm like, okay, well then what was the point of wearing it? And then 
as they're evacuating the building, she uses that as an excuse. Oh, I gotta go up to the room and get my mother's shawl. It's upstairs. and She's an idiot for doing that. Exactly, because it separates her from the rest of the group. And now she's left by herself with this psychopath who's trying to kidnap her mm-hmm. and take her to God knows where to do God knows what with her. Trying to do the and, nasty or whatever. Yeah. And she again, not reciprocating his affections or emotions she fights back or runs away and is hiding and in the weirdest way possible and i don't understand how she doesn't realize this but this is a tactic she seems to use a lot in this movie and that's hiding under the bed from this guy because that's what she did when her fam the night her family died she came home from a movie theater like she went out to the movies with Lisa. She got dropped off at home. She finds that her brother's dead and she hides underneath his bed when she hears her mom screaming. And it's from under the bed where she witnessed this guy kill her mother. Yeah. And it's hiding under the bed in this hotel room where she, not all too familiar, but in a in a very delayed amount of time is when she realizes her friend Claire is dead. Yeah. Is stuffed under the bed. Oh my. I mean, she's got, she had to be under that bed for at least a good minute or two, and then you just didn't happen to look over to your right and see that your friend was slaying there. Yeah, I'd be like, hey, what's up? <laughs> I know, like, what the fuck? I mean, that talk about, like, weird writing. But anyway. Yeah. So she manages to get out, and he manages to get away, and I think the reason why he killed that bellhop kid was because he stole his uniform to get past security... Excuse me. To get past security to get out of the hotel. Yeah. So we would like to have thought it would have ended at the hotel, but it doesn't end up ending at the hotel. Not really. And it takes everybody else at the prom a good, good amount of time to realize that three of their students are dead. Mm -hmm. And that the teacher who had a stalker over is on the loose again. So... Now all this is happening, Donna and her boyfriend get sent home to her aunt's house, who she had been living with up until, you know, recently. Yeah. And then police are now sent to guard the house. yeah. Yeah. So they send a couple of police officers over to guard the house and the family overnight until they're able to catch this guy. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, he does manage to get there. She kills the boyfriend, right? He kills the boyfriend, right? He kills two of the cops, and then the boyfriend. Which that was sad. Which it was sad because she's already blaming herself for what had happened to their friends at the prom. And she's already br- blaming herself for everything else that's happened prior to all this. Because she blames herself for what happened to her family because of this guy. And now she's blaming herself even more for what's happened to her friends on prom night. Yeah. And she's just like, until this guy is either dead or locked up in a hole somewhere. Yeah. Her- she's like, her good looks just ruin everything. Yeah, right? So <laughs> Pretty people. She she gets up in the middle of the night and goes to the bathroom to take her anti-anxiety meds and a drink of water. Mm-hmm. She goes back to bed and it's, again, a good while before she realizes that the boyfriend is dead. And he had his throat slashed. So she thinks she hears him coming up the stairs, which I don't get how, but okay. She hides in the closet, and that's when he grabs her, mm. which is scary, I that's, guess. That is fucking scary. Because yeah. he's right behind her yeah. in the closet. And Idris Elba, by the way, plays the lead detective in the whole He's a badass whole cop. Thing. Yeah, yeah he, he really takes charge. And he really, like, like when he gets to the hotel, he's like, immediately, I gotta have a map of this hotel. I gotta, go, I gotta know all the exits. 
fire escapes. He's got to know everything exit, about where it is. Emergency yeah. exits, alarms. I got to know everything. And he's putting people in charge of, like, telling them where to go, what to do. I need you to, you know, get a list of all your guests. I need you blah, to do blah, this blah. for me. I need you, need you to go right here. Yeah. Yeah. Like, literally, he's... I got to keep he, eyes on Donna the entire night. Make sure she doesn't leave your sight. That kind of thing. Like, he, he really... He, he is Heimdall. Like, really, he no, is. No, but, like, he really takes charge. And as a cop in, like, a horror movie, you have to do that. Yeah. You know, and we again we see this in too many other movies, but the bumbling cop thing, the trope, doesn't is, work. It do, not only does not work, but it's getting over overdone to the point where it's become completely unnecessary at this point. So, that's so I'm yeah. I'm glad to see somebody like Idris Elba play a playing a competent cop, doing a good job at it, and that's what I got to give him props for. So, long story short, to wrap up the whole thing. It ends with Brittany Snow eventually getting away from this guy. And Idris Elba kills Idris him. Idris Elba shoots and kills him, yeah. and that is the end of the movie. I'm just glad the the uh, the aunt and uncle didn't die. Because yeah. The ones who were taking care of her. They're the only the, ones who yeah. are taking care of her at this point. Yeah, so what if they die too? Like, seriously, she has no one after that. Yeah, and at this point, she's... If she's not 18 already, she's on the verge of being 18 and graduating from high school after that she's completely on her own and she has no family nothing nada just this scholarship to go to brown university i think i think i'm just assuming because i it's been a while since i've watched the remake i think it might still be on netflix oh it I'm is not sure. it is yeah i'd have to rewatch it but i was, I was gonna say if you want to watch it it's on netflix yeah. so check it out it's a good movie i like I it like better it. than the original yeah, I do, I will too. Say, I've come to realize that now. Yeah, but, I mean, I think that's it for this episode, because, I mean, that's really all I have to say. The remake was better than the original. Mm-hmm, and it's, because exactly. we've, been, we've been doing remake debates for a while now, and I think the last couple we've done so far were ones where I actually hated the remake more than the original. Exactly, yeah. And it's just nice to kind of have this little... A nice little change. Nice little, yeah, a nice little change where I can go back to rooting for the remakes than rooting for the originals. And I'm usually the one rooting for the original, and I thought this one would be just as good, but sadly, I was disappointed. Yeah. So, I guess, but I wasn't, I didn't beat myself up over it, I didn't cry about it, but literally, it just sucked that it, this movie could have been better. But yeah, instead, but... for once, the remake actually did good. Yeah, the remake held up, and it was really good. So I will give you props on your side that you, for once, had a good remake. Yeah. Compared to all the other remakes you had me watch, ugh. Okay, first of all, you're the one who decided to do Suspiria, so that was not my decision Okay, okay. I mean, that first, what, like two hours or so um, wasn't good, and then the last 40 minutes of it? No, not the last 40 minutes. Like... Whenever it got really interesting, when she started, like, Yeah, it was, mind- like, the last 40, 30 minutes. Yeah, when she started, like, telepathically communicating with her teacher and, you know, like, you mm. really start to see her use her powers. And I was it's like, about the, the demon fuck? coming out and everything, yeah. Well, yeah, that was when shit kind of got interesting. Yeah, but, shit got crazy. Yeah, but <laughs> overall, it was just a weird remake debate, and I, I like this one a lot more, and hopefully we'll do more... In the near future, we no, just we... gotta we just gotta find out what other remakes are out there that we can talk about. I mean, maybe maybe at some point we can do the Invisible Man. 
Because if we can rent that in some way and watch it and compare it to the original. I was going to say, because you did dress up as the, as the Invisible Man the other day. <laughs> I did not dress up. So I was wearing the other day, you know, we live in upstate New York, so we've been getting a lot of snow. So one day I came home to pick up Colin, take him to work, and I had a winter coat with my hood up, my hat on, my face mask, and then I had Colin bring out my sunglasses because it just happened to be the one day of the week where we got sun. I put the sunglasses on, and he looks at me. He's like, why do you look like the, inv- the invisible woman? <laughs> and I'm like, what are you talking but about? But you were cracking up laughing. You thought it was hilarious. Yeah, then I looked at myself in the mirror. I was like, oh, yeah, okay. I see it now. <laughs> You're like, for world domination. <laughs> but oh, yeah, it was... It was. I mean, that might be one we, we can do sometime soon. Yeah, we could do that. Yeah. Yeah, but I know those movies are way different from each other. Yeah. So let's see what happens. So. Yep. So if you want to follow us on social media, we are at Abby Normal Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, we still have our Patreon. I'm trying to come up with ideas, like fun things for you guys to be able to you know, enjoy as being a Patreon besides just the shout-outs. It's going to take a while to get to those, but hopefully you guys will, if you want to be a Patreon, we have a Patreon mm-hmm. under the Abby Normal Podcast page. And I think that's pretty much it on my end. Yep, this has been the episode of the Abby Normal Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and we will see you all soon. I am Colin Bourne. And I'm Leah. Signing off, saying goodbye.